We're starting a brand new series tonight I'm so excited about uh, because this is going to be more than just teaching, but I believe it's going to be activation and because that's really what we want to see happen. And I thought about, or as the Lord put on my heart, what to share with you. Our topic tonight or this month is going to be called Help for the Hurting. How many knows that we've got a world that is hurting? And they're hurting bad. People are hurting everywhere. And there's many different kinds of hurts. And our focus really isn't going to be so much on what the pain is or what their hurt is as much as what their help is. And I want to declare to you right off the start that I'm looking at the help for the hurting tonight. It's all of us that are in this room. And I believe you're going to see that through the teaching, through the word of the Lord. I'm not going to be doing all of these sessions this month. I'm going to have different ones. We'll be teaching different topics of it uh, that we're going to focus on. But what we want to do again, here's my, my agenda, is to bring you to a point that you are activated doing the work of the Lord and we are helping heal up people that are broken. I still keep seeing every time that I think about this, I I see in my spirit the harvest. And I see an incredible harvest coming in to the church. And not just here, I mean the church at large. But they're not coming to a great meeting. You know, everywhere I go, you know, what we need is revival. We need another powerful meeting. I see it all the time. I'm not opposed to those things. I love those things. I think those things are needful, but I don't think they're coming because you and I are pushing, hey, come and hear this amazing speaker that we're going to have in the house tonight. What I see every time I talk about this, what I see is a line, a multitude of people that are coming. But they're not coming, as I said, for a good service. They're coming because they're hopeless and they're looking for hope. The best way for me to even describe it would even be like uh, what we saw over the last couple of years in the Ukraine when the Russians invaded Ukraine, Ukraine and those people were pushed out uh, of their homes, pushed out of their villages, pushed out of their... And here you see all these people packing their bags and they're carrying everything they got. They have nowhere to go, but they're looking for somebody to open up their arms and take them in and give them a measure of hope. I don't know. I'm not a gloomer and doomer. I don't know what's going to come upon the land, but I believe there's going to be something happen that's going to shake the core of the nation that's going to turn people to run to the house of God. Matter of fact, Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years ago. I used this in the National Day of Prayer. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 2 that in the last days, he said the In the last days, well, I'm going to have to read it. My mind just went totally blank. I just want to make sure I say it right. Uh, You just, where did I, if I told you to go to the book of Luke, that's where I want you to stay. But let me look at this passage real quick. He said, now it shall come to pass in the last day that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains 
and and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow into it and many people will come and say, come, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. So I really believe that with all of my heart that the church is the answer. And when I say the church, I'm not necessarily talking about the brick and mortar. I'm looking at the church that has arms and legs and eyes and ears and has emotions and has feelings. That's the church. So let's get into this word. I want you to look with me at starting point. This is foundational for everybody else to build on. The book of Luke chapter 10 in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? And what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your might, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, you have answered rightly, do this and you shall live. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on to the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day when he had departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, Jesus said, do you was think neighbor to him who fell among likewise uh, the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, this is an incredible, incredible story. Now, here's an attorney. Here's a lawyer. Now, it's not like the attorney we think of. We, you and I think of an, of an attorney of law. That's not the law you're here. This is a man that is skillful in the word of God. He is skillful at that day in the law. So he asked a question. Remember, he's putting Jesus to the test. I want to know what I must do to have, to have this eternal life. Now, I believe he's speaking that out of what he had just told his disciples. Because I believe the whole chapter or book of chapter 10 isn't three or four different stories, 
But I believe it's a dialogue that Jesus is relating to his disciples. So let's walk in it. I'm not going to read every verse, but let's just walk in to a few verses here as it starts out. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them out two by two uh, before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is great, but the labors are few. But pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers um, um, into his harvest. Now notice what Jesus said. He said, I'm sending you out because you're going to gather my harvest. But the problem is there's not enough laborers. So pray ye that we send forth laborers, that laborers can go and reach this harvest. But what does the harvest look like? You know, when I'm harvesting things, I like it when I put a garden in, I'm looking for the most beautiful tomatoes that I possibly can get. I like them when there's not a spot on them, but most of mine don't look that way for some reason when I grow them. And if I'm growing watermelon, man, I like those big lush ones, you know, those great big ones. But for some reason, mine don't look like that either. And if I'm growing corn, you know, I want some great big nice full ears of corn. But sometimes, I don't know, I just don't have a real good green thumb, I guess. It don't always look that way. My point isn't what I do. My point is that you and I are always looking for a harvest that seems to have everything together. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. So he sends them, and he said, this is what it's going to look like. He said, go into the cities. Go your way and go into the cities, and, and you're going to go find. There's another point, uh, part that this is found at in the book of Matthew. You don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through the end of the chapter, and she, the Bible says this, and Jesus went about all the cities and all the villages teaching in the synagogue, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now pay attention to this. And healing all the sick that were among them. And then he begins to tell his disciples go. And he said pray because the harvest is great. But the laborers are few. My point is catch what the harvest looks like. We also find in the book of Acts chapter 10. I believe it's verse 38. And we see Jesus who was anointed of the Holy Ghost. Who went about doing good. And healing all that were sick and those that were vexed of demons. So when you read through this chapter here, when you read through these parts where Jesus is ministering and he's sending his people out, he is sending them out into the places where the people are bound up by demonic spirits. He's sending them out to people that are sick. He's sending them out to people that are lost. They don't know their way. He's sending out to people that are vexed by different cares and different things of life. This is what the harvest looks like. A lot of times our harvest, we think, has it all together. I never will forget years ago, Brother Rick Clendenin was teaching, and he was in a meeting somewhere. And he said, while he was sitting there, the, the minister that was preaching uh, said, I believe there's somebody here tonight uh, that, that is contemplating suicide. 
And so Brother Rick, he, the, the minister kind of gave instruction. I want you uh, to turn and minister, see if there's somebody you feel around you that, that's really struggling. So Brother Rick sitting on the front row, he said he turned all the way around and he said there was a beautiful lady that seemed, you know, very attractive, seemed to be a very wealthy person the way she was put together and all that. And he said it couldn't be her and he looked all the way to the back of the room. But there was nobody in the back of the room. And the reality was, through the course of that, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, it's the one standing right behind you. Now, if you went by appearance, it wouldn't look that way. But people are hurting all around us. The harvest is hurting. I've got news for you. Uh, There's people in our church that's hurting. We had our, I guess I'm at liberty that I can talk this. Uh, we had our, our, our staff, our team meeting on yesterday. And, and, and you know, we're, we, we, we get together once a week and, and we celebrate uh, our, our wins. We talk about how the service went and how the nursery went, how children's ministry went, what we thought happened in here, all of these good things. We kind of walk over it. And, and Pastor Noel at the end said, I think I need to bring something to y'all's attention. Because she gives an altar call with those kids just like we do in here. And and, and we minister to them. She said, man, it's getting heavy. She said, these kids, the the altars are getting heavy. She said, I've had a couple of the kids come. One of them was was feeling anxious and anxiety. Now, we're talking our children in our children's ministry. She said, this one little one said anxiety was, was really overtaking her. And another one came to her and said, I want you to pray for one of my family members because they're thinking about suicide. And I want us to pray about that. Now, now wait a minute. You think about that. I'm talking about our kids in our church. And if these things are happening in the churches, I never will forget. It's been a number of years ago. I never will forget this. Right over there at the end of the service, I had a young girl come and pull on my coattail. She said, Pastor, I, I, I got to tell you something. And, and she, she, she said, I, I stopped her and I said, okay, what do you want to tell me? And, and she said, my daddy is doing things to me that doesn't need to happen. That happened here in our church. And of course, naturally we moved to what we've got to do uh, to make sure that they're safe and protected. But I want us to understand that people are hurting and you cannot look on the outside of them. You can't just look on the outside of them and make a judgment and say, you know what? They got a smile on their face. They must be okay. So Jesus speaks to these disciples and he said, I want you to go. And he sent them out in teams because we are much better doing this together. But this is what he said. Look at verse three of that, of that chapter, chapter 10. He said, go your way. Go your way. I really believe this is what he was saying. This is in the journey. This is just everyday life. This is as we go. We're passing people by. I went to the doctor today to, I got a spider bite. So I went and it, you know, pretty ugly looking guy. And so I went to make sure it was okay. See if I needed something. And 
the last time I was there, because I was there with because I was coughing and couldn't stop, and I wanted to get that in check, and that hits me, you know, it's hit me about every year, and been several years since I went to get it. So the young nurse that was waiting on me was there, taking my blood pressure, doing all that she did. She 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 was groaning and moaning, and and, and I said, "Are you okay?" And and she proceeded to tell me. She said, "I've injured my back. I've had back surgery, and blah blah blah." This. So that's all she said. She does take care of me. She said, let's go to the room. And we go down, down the hall. And she puts me in a room till the doc comes in. So she comes back in because they're going to give me a shot. And she comes back in. And before I left her, I knew she was in pain. And I said, ma'am, do you, do, would you mind if I pray for you? Well, I guess it would be all right. And I just simply put my hand on her there in the, in the waiting room or in the room where the doctor was taking care of me. And I just prayed a simple prayer. That's all I did, and I left. So today, she's the one caring for me again. I never said a word. Oh, you're the person that prayed for me. She said, she said that day, she said, you put me in tears. I went and told the doctor that there's this guy that just prayed for me in the office. Let me tell you about the young lady at Huddle House just this past week. She's the, some of you, my, my guys that go there, she's the person that's got the new tattoo. And you know, it's the, it's the mustache on her finger and she puts it up and makes a big joke. But she has, she has epilepsy and she was telling me how many seizures she had just had all weekend long. So while I'm checking out, I, I just take a moment to pray. I, I'm not talking about me. I'm, I'm wanting you to see that people are hurting all around us. So as we're on our journey, we're not looking for these things, but we're on our journey and they're going to be in the middle of us. So he said, when you go out, he talk, gives them instruction, go into the cities, go look for a place of peace. He said, if a house opens up to you, go in and let your peace come upon that house. Uh, but if it doesn't, then go away, shake the dust off your feet. Now, that meant something great in that day. But he said, "Get it, shake your dust up because that was a witness that God was visiting them and they were rejecting it. Uh, but I believe there's another point in that. Uh, I believe God is saying to us, when you go and you're trying to minister to somebody and they don't want it, they don't receive it, shake it off because this is what happened. You'll take it as a rejection of you. And they're not rejecting you, but they're rejecting what God wants to do in them. Matter of fact, I don't have time to hit every verse, but read through here. He said, when they hear you, they're hearing me. So if they're hearing me and they're rejecting you, they're rejecting him. So, so this point is that you've got to come and realize this. Not everybody, even when you see that they're hurting, even when you know that they're broken, is ready to receive what you have. I talked to a young man or talked to a man today that told me about witnessing in a, happened to be at, a, at the bowling alley. And, and he was talking about just as he was walking through, somebody 
stirred a conversation to him about Jesus. And it was so exciting for him to have that opportunity to share about Jesus. He said, I don't really know what happened. I said, did you ever think that maybe you might have been planting a seed? Or maybe you were also watering a seed that had already been planted. But the reality is not everybody is going to hear us. But yet we're the answer to those that are hurting to those that are broken and bruised. Are you okay? So they go out and they start doing. And they come back because Jesus said, I've given you authority. And I'm giving you power over demons. And I'm giving you authority to heal the sick and all of these good things. So they come back, the word said in verse 17, and they're rejoicing for the fact that Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, wait a minute, I've already seen his fall. I saw Satan fall like, notice what he said, I seen him fall like lightning from heaven. I've already seen him cast down out of his lofty place. And he said, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. But Jesus didn't say rejoice in that. See, we rejoice, listen, we rejoice, what's the word I want to use? Uh, what's the, uh, we rejoice in, uh, uh, in all the dramatics, that's not the right word, but the greater the miracle that we're a part of, the more we rejoice in it, especially it's of my hands, but Jesus said, wait a minute, don't rejoice in that. Now, he wasn't saying that we shouldn't be glad and shouldn't celebrate it, but don't let that be the end of it. Because he's saying, uh, duh, I, you ought to be doing this every day. Just like you having a meal. You ought to, are you okay? You, you ought to be doing these things. But he said, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Now, let's get down to where we're going tonight because I've been, it's all a foundation laying up. So now this lawyer says, master, because see, I believe he was listening to the conversation. I want this eternal life. What do I got to do? I don't do what they do. Because he's a, he's a person of the word. He's been a person of the temple or the synagogue, if we might could say it like that. But he said, I want to know what I need to do to have eternal life. And I want you to pay close attention to how Jesus responded. He said, what's written in the law and how do you read it? Well, that's a great question. What's written in the word and how do you read it? And Jesus, he said, well, the Bible says, or the, Lord, the Torah would say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus speaks, yeah, you're right. You've answered rightly. Now do this and go live. But remember, he knew what it said, but Jesus wanted to know something else. How do you interpret this? How do you see this? Uh, you know, that, that's a great question for the church of the day. I'm not saying we're wrong, but I'm also not saying we're all right. Because if you ask most of the church about their love for God, it's being in the house of God and it's having a great worship service and it's pursuing everything. And that is far different than what Jesus just said here. What we need is more revival, Pastor. We need to pursue more presence. I'm not questioning saying we don't. 
I'm not saying we don't, but that is a far cry. If Jesus was walking in this place in flesh and blood today, and that question was asked, I think he would look at church and say, what are y'all doing? Because you're pursuing a revival meeting in a house that'll only seat a few, maybe a few hundred or a few thousand, while there are literally millions all around you that haven't seen me yet. And Jesus said, If you love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, that means you're not your own. You're really not your own. You belong to him anyway. And then he said, we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Now that's the kick right there. Now what does that mean? How do I interpret me loving my neighbor as myself? Well, I think we could all probably have an answer. I think if I was in trouble, I would hope somebody would come help me. The other day, I told you about my fishing thing the other day. I reached out to a couple guys, sent them a picture just to taunt them a bit. Help! Nobody came. But they offered to to give. <laughs> they offered to. But I would hope somebody would come to my aid and come to my rescue. If I was broken, I've often said this to my leaders, and I still contend this with, ever, with, with even all of you, whether you're in leadership or not. God forbid something would happen to me that I would have a fall. I would fall into sin or I'd stumble along the way. I would hope instead of somebody coming by, well, he's done. He's worthless. He's no good. He's, I would hope that I would have enough godly people that would run to my rescue and say, Pastor, you hurt us, but we want to help you get back up and get you back on your feet and get you back into life. But even most of the church don't operate that way. Because if somebody falls, if somebody trips, if somebody stumbles along the journey, those are hurting people. If somebody goes through divorce, boy, years ago, it's not near as bad as it was years ago. But if you went through divorce, you were useless when it come to any service within the kingdom. Because you violated seemingly everything about the word and about covenant. In today's world, there would be nobody of any value if we held on to that truth. If somebody today struggles with an addiction, with a problem, that maybe here's most of the time this is get to the altar, pray, let's get this thing over with. Well, I still think that's a good answer, but it may not be the full solution. It may not be all that they need, or I've been as guilty. I know. Why don't you just get over it? Hmm. Talk to the guy that's tried to quit smoking cigarettes that's done it for 30 years of his life in a five-pack of, of cigarettes a day. That's not always easy, especially if you've never done it. See, it's real easy to look at everybody else and say, this is what I think you ought to do, but I don't think it always works that way. So here's the turn. He said, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I believe part of that is I want life to the fullest. I want life to be peaceful, joyous. I want to be healthy. I want my family whole. And I think that's what Jesus is saying, that we ought to want for everybody around us. That's just Pastor Zach's interpretation. So I ask you, 
What does that mean to you? So Jesus speaks a parable or he speaks a story. And basically, he's speaking a story that may or may not be true to get over a truth. And he talks about, listen to how it starts. A certain man is just on his journey, going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he's on his journey, he falls among thieves. I think it could possibly be the place that the psalmist had talked about. In Psalms 23, you remember this verse? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is actually a place along the journey where the rocks and the cliffs and the crevices, it would be an easy place for bandits and robbers and bad guys to hide out. And anybody that's going through their bath by themselves, they would be easy prey. So here's this man, I'm just going about my journey. I'm going to work. I'm going to Walmart. I'm going to the lake. I'm going to take, I'm just going to go see some of my family. And as he's going, the Bible says he falls among thieves. Look what they do to him. They beat him. They strip him. He's bleeding. No doubt if they're thieves, They've robbed him. If he had any goods with him, they've probably robbed him. And and notice something else. They've left him in a condition where the Bible said he's half dead. So if he's half dead, what's the other half? Alive. So it's going to be dependent. He is in a very pivotal point. If somebody doesn't get to me, I'm going to die unless somebody stops by. I was reminded of this before I came here, a a vision or a dream the Lord gave me. I've shared it before. It's been, I think, a number of years, period of time, could have been years, of a dream I had of doing a funeral in my church. I don't know if it was this church, that church. It was just church. And it was the funeral. All I knew, there was a young person in that casket. And the casket's closed. But our seats wasn't like this. It's like chairs over here, chairs over there. And and instead of the coffin being this way, it was setting this way. And I'm standing here preaching this funeral. I've got elders and leaders over here. I've got other church people over here. And while I'm preaching this funeral, all of a sudden... That thing, that thing starts moving. The lid pops open and an arm falls out. Yeah, that was weird. I've never had that in a real funeral. Thank the Lord. (laughs) But all of a sudden this arm and, and I noticed it was getting rocky. And then it was like the lid was trying to come up, really come all the way open and I noticed that one of my elders over here kind of went and jumped kind of on top of it to keep the lid down. And finally, whoever was in it wasn't going to stop. They were going to come out of that thing one way or the other. And I remember finally he just couldn't contain it. The lid opened up and it was like he was in a clear, a clear plastic bag and he sets up and and it was like all of a sudden the, the bag came loose and I, I asked this most intelligent question I could have ever asked. 
And I said, are you dead? Are you alive? That was my intelligent question. And the body said, this is, I'll never forget this. I want to live. I believe it was speaking of a generation. I want to live. But the church is trying to bury it because it looks dead. It was acting dead. And instead of carrying the resurrection life that we have in it, we're doing funerals and we're giving up and we're burying things. We're burying people that God's resurrection life wants to come through. So here's this man in that condition. If somebody doesn't help him, he's going to die. But a priest and a priest is on his journey. I don't know. Maybe he's going to the temple down in whatever village. And so he's making his way, but he sees, he sees the, hey, there's a body in the road. No doubt he sees the blood. No doubt he sees the man is, is stripped of his raiment. And he, instead of getting close to really look, the Bible said he walks to the other side of the road and he keeps going. And then in a few minutes later, here comes some Levite. And a Levite passes, and I don't know, maybe he gets even closer to him. But he sees what the priest said, but he goes to the other side of the road, and he passes by. So maybe in all fairness to the, to the priests and Levites, we got to look at the law here for a moment. Because remember, under the law, if you go back into Leviticus, I believe it's chapter 19, 20, and 21, it'll talk this that the high priest couldn't touch anything dead because if he did, he's defiled. And he couldn't go back in through the process of ceremony. And so in one sense of the word, he, I'm trying to keep myself pure. I'm trying to quite have the the status of the high priest, but nonetheless, they serve in the church, they serve in the temple, and there really was ceremonial law for them that they were to keep themselves and clean as well. So I could give them a little bit of justification, maybe I, I could, but I believe Jesus is saying a few moments later, the marriage. Though it was one specific, it was Samaritan. Samaritan also inbred it with, and the Jews and Samaritans really had no each other. Samaritans, well, they had their own cities. And matter of fact, they wouldn't even pass pass barbecue. Wouldn't even. Hey, I need that other. Thank you. They wouldn't go even into each other's territory because they despised one another. But you know what? The Samaritan didn't ask the question because if I didn't read the story, if I read the story to you exactly, it said, and a certain Jew, a man which was Jewish, was making his way. So he didn't stop to look and ask him, hey, are you Jewish or are you Samaritan? 
But he ran to him and he began to pour into him. So I believe he's given us a picture that it's in, first of all, both of these men were just in their journey. I think so many times we miss the journey every day. You, you miss it going to lunch. You miss it going to work. You miss it going to market or maybe just going home from work, but it's in our journey. It's every day there's people across our path. So here's this man that has fallen among the, 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 the uh, it's fallen in the hands of the thieves. Let me give you, uh, I want to give you a few. Are you okay? I hope this is making sense to you. Let me give you some things of what this Samaritan did. The first thing that he did, he had compassion. He had compassion. Boy, that's a good one that we, the church, need to grab hold of. The longer that we're in this thing, I've been in it all my life, me and my wife. Just celebrating just this year, probably 40 years of ministry. But we grew up in the church. We were born in the church. I mean, neither one of us was out there in the world doing crazy stuff like many of you. We were church kids. This is all we know. And some of you have been born again for many years and yet you came out of it. But you've been born again and spirit filled. And the more you're out of it, the easier it is to lose sight of what? Wait a minute, that could have been me. But the first thing that he did, he had compassion. Hey, somebody's hurting. I believe he was possibly saying, that could have been me. That could have been me in the journey. But it wasn't, it's him. And, and so he goes to him. And the first thing that he looks, I believe he's he's looking at the he's looking at the situation. If we was in a you know a tragic an earthquake or a tornado or whatever, our first responders would be out doing what? They're looking to see if people need help, and they're assessing what am I dealing with? Is this man alive? Is he dead? How much help do they need? The triage tree, I think that's what they call it, the triage thing that they're looking to see whatever they have need of. So the man needed help. So here's the first thing he did. He began to bind up his wounds. You know what? You may not be able to do everything, but I promise you there's something you can do. Because the binding up of his wound was what he could do. He's bleeding. So the best thing I can do is I got I to gotta get some cloth and I got I to gotta, I gotta stop the flow of blood. I got to apply pressure to the head injury or maybe to the scrapes on his knees or, or whatever. If one of the grandkids are over the house and they're outside playing and they fall down and scrape their knee, here's what I do. Oh, come on, it's going to be okay, but here's what Meemaw does. Let me get a rag. And she go gets a rag and she'll get it wet with some cool water or whatever and she'll come tenderly and so nicely and she'll wipe the little bit of, you know, dirt away if there's any there and she'll just you know, hold this rag on it for a few minutes. It didn't take a lot of rocket scientists. It didn't take a degree. It didn't take Holy Ghost to tell her to do it. She just does it. There's certain things along the journey that we can do that we don't have. Well, I'm going to fast and pray for 10 minutes to see if God will tell me if I need to help you or not. No, church. We've got to get beyond. I hear the, I want to be used of God. I want ministry. What most people are asking is for a platform not to really do ministry. 
Because this is real ministry right here. This is real ministry. Ministering to those that are hurting. So he had compassion. The second thing that he did, he bandaged up his wounds. Here's the third thing that he did. He poured in the oil and wine into him. I believe it represents two things. One, the oil representing the anointing. And I know doing this, there was a purpose behind it greater than, than I know. But this is that's how Holy Ghost gift gives to me. There's an anointing upon every one of us. Everyone in this room is anointed. I was listening to, who was it today? Billy Brim, I think it was for a few moments. Just something I saw and it caught my attention. I wanted to listen to it for a minute. I was on the road. And so she said, years ago, God spoke to her and said, you're, you're a prophet to the nation and you're going to walk in the anointing of your father, Ken Hagen. And that's what God spoke to her. And, and there was a whole process. And he said she was kneeling down at the very place when God spoke that to her, that her spiritual father, Ken Hagen Sr., prayed at. But she said something that caught my attention. She said, the Lord said, I would follow in the footsteps or I would work under the anointing of her spiritual father. But she said something that was interesting to me. She said, I didn't say God said I would be at the same degree of anointing of him. I would just be operating in that anointing that was on him. Because we may not have the anointing of Benny Hinn. But it doesn't mean that there's not an anointing upon you to minister to people, to pray for people. I never will forget, we had back in Paducah when we first started pastoring, we had a little Indian brother from India come in. His name was John George. He was about this tall, little bitty guy. Him and his wife, they had a beautiful little baby girl. I called her our little brown biscuit. And they stayed at our home. And he ministered. Man, God would use this guy in power. I mean, little guy about like this. She would tell us about him ministering over there. Said he'd be out ministering these crusades and said there'd be so many demonized people. He would get them to sit down on the front rows and just command them to sit still and they're jerking and doing all kinds of things. And one by one, he would go minister to them and miracles would take place. He's one of these guys had never, ever played the keyboard. And one day God said, go to the keyboard. I'm going to anoint your hands. And he went to the keyboard and immediately began to play and the power of God would flow through him as he would play the keyboard keyboard and he's at our church ministry we had a blind lady that I knew come in and her name was Miss Wainiken and our church was a long little long narrow church and the bathrooms were downstairs and I greeted her when she come in because it'd been years since I seen her and I greeted her when she come in and I said, Miss Wainick, I'm so glad to see you. So why Brother George is giving the altar call, I see her moving around as though she's trying to go somewhere. So I make my way to her and said, Miss Wainick, can I help you? She said, yes, I need to go to the restroom. So I said, I'm going to help you down the steps and then one of my ladies will take care of you from there. So I get her downstairs. One of the ladies were helping her and I was waiting at the steps to help her back up. So when we're wait, walk, making our way back up, I said, Miss Wainick, I want you to go to the altar and have Brother John George put his hands on you and pray for your eyes to be open. 
And the moment I said that, the Spirit of the Lord said, well, why don't you do it? Because he's got the anointing. I mean, that's how we feel. He's got the anointing. Why don't we do it? Why don't we let, you, you know, this, because they got the anointing for it. And the Lord really quickened me, pray for her. So right there on the steps, I just put my hand, I didn't know what to do, but just pray for her and say, Lord, open her eyes. And may I tell you, God did that. God did that. So I could go and say, hey, I, I prayed for a blind person. They got healed. But see, it's real easy for us to look for somebody. Man, let's get Benny. Let's get this one in. Let's get, because they really, they might move into it a great degree. But you know, the same Holy Ghost is on everyone in this room. And we may not have time to get Benny here for them to be whole. But he said he poured in the oil, which represents the anointing, and the wine, which is the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit flowing through you to bring to them at that moment what they have need of. I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know either. Sometimes I just got to read, Holy Ghost, how do, we, how do you want to handle this? I'm here to cooperate with you. So he poured in the oil and the wine. Here's the next step that he did. He lifted him up and set him on, the Bible said, my Bible said his animal, but was probably a donkey. He lifted him up. Church, I believe what he was doing personally I had to think immediately about Jesus riding in on that donkey and what that donkey represented. That Jesus is carrying our burdens. That we've got to lift them up and put them in that place of Jesus. Jesus, you got to take care of this because it's beyond me. This is more than I can handle. But he lifted him up. Listen, church, I believe we're in a day. This is a real tough place to be here. Everybody wants a handout, but that's really not helping them. We've got to be a hand up. We've got to make sure that we're lifting people up out of their despair, out of their hopelessness. He lifted him up, put him on his burden. I could also say that he kept praying for him. He kept interceding for him. Here's the next step he did. I'm about done. You guys look bored. Here's the next step. Is he brought him to the end. I believe this is a clue. I believe he brought him to church. I believe we need to get people to church. And this is why it's so important, please hear me, that we make the best of our services, the best that we can be. And that we realize that people are in here week after week after week. I told you in our children's department a while ago, this young girl, this I don't know, she could have been seven, eight years old dealing with anxiety. We've got classrooms in our school systems of children right now dealing with anxiety and full of fear and they don't know what to do with it. That's why we need to make the best of it, church, to give God our very best, to expect our very best, and watch God work in people's life. There's something about getting them to the church, and he left him with the keeper of the inn. In other words, and i got to land this jet here. Listen, in other words, I may help them in one way on my journey, 
But if I can get them here, there's other people that can offer things that I can't. That have had experiences, that have walked through things. I, I, I'll never know, thank the Lord, I hope I never know what Charlie walked through. I, I'll never know what it is. And I hope I never know what it is to be addicted uh, to a drug or something to that effect. I, I pray that I never know what it is to lose somebody so very close to me or, or to go through divorce or to go through the thing. But if I can get them to the church, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be helping them through that. And they don't need to be looking at us in our religiosity as we're judging them because of where they are. But they need to feel like they're in the safest environment and they're in a place of hope and they're in a place of help. And here's a big one. They're in a place that people genuinely care. And it's not just pastor doing it all. It's all of us doing it. It's all of us doing it. And here's the man left him and he said, I got to go on my journey. But he said, I'll come back. And if you've put out anything or I need to pay more, he said, I'm, I'm in this. I, I'm in this. I'm, I'm going to make sure. I'm, I'm not just walking away and I'm forgetting. But I want to make sure this person is okay. Jesus said, if you love me and you really want life, this is the pattern, this is the, this is the picture that Jesus gave. So Jesus said, which of the three, which of the three would you say is neighbor to him who fell among thieves? It would have been too easy to be fearful. I'm not going to get involved. Hey, he just got beat up. I wonder if they're still around. It would be too easy to run off or not even go near or want to get involved because of fear could play a huge role. But Jesus said, this is really what real love is. If you really love me, you really want to express love. Notice he didn't say anything about a worship service. Do you notice he didn't say anything about us having a great revival? I'm not opposing those things. Please, please don't misinterpret. But I think there's something greater. And the more we pray, listen, I, I've said this. I pray with people all the time about revival. I pray with them. I'm saying, guys, what are you looking for? At the end of the day, what we're, and if it really broke out, then, hey, this is pastor. Y'all can do whatever. But why isn't, why isn't uh, Wilmore? Why don't we hear anything more if that's all, if revival really came to our land? But the, one of the greatest revivals that I really hear going on is what Mario Morello's doing among the tent. But not ministering to church people. But ministering to those that are down and out, those that are bro broken and bruised and praying a simple message of Jesus. And you know what? The power of the Holy Ghost moves. And people are being healed and delivered and they're set free. And the down and outers and the uppers and outers and everything else are being touched by the power of God because they're not just trying to have another good meeting. I care enough about you to tell you there's an answer for your life. In church, there is help for the hurting. And they're all around us. Chad, if you don't mind, put that back up on the screen. Because I asked him as he put the title up. That I wanted the emphasis on the help. 
not so much on the broken. Because I believe the help is here. I believe the help is in this room. I really believe that's the next move of God for everyone is that his church get activated. I'm not telling you get your Bible under your arm, start running. If that's how God does you, fine. I'm just telling you, when you get up in the morning and you're on your journey, you might just pay a little bit more attention. Is there somebody I'm going to have an encounter with today that needs what I got? And you may not have what I have. But just use what you got. Use what you have. And the more you use it, I believe the more God will give you. I believe it's a part of growing and learning in the kingdom. Isn't holding on and just gaining knowledge, but it's exercising what we're going to do. You're going to have some incredible people over the next couple of weeks. Matter of fact, I'm going to have Ben and Pam are going to teach one night. On just, I've asked them to do an ABC crash course on healing. Not in here, out there. And then I'm going to have I'm going to have Miss Adrian do a night, and Miss Adrian's going to do a night. I've asked her. I said, Adrian, there's a lot of people that have lost their way. They're struggling. They're discouraged. They've been beaten down. They've been broken by life. She went something through this last year that had really worked her over pretty heavy. And not only that, coming out of that, facing a job issue, man, it would have been easier to give up than it would to press on. But there's people that have quit, people that have gotten discouraged. She's going to be coming and she's going to help us. How? To help those that are going through it. And then there's the world that's dealing. This is How many notice that this is, what month is it besides May? Uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. That there's people struggling with so many. I'm not saying they're crazy, but they're full of fear. They're discouraged, depressed. They're anxious. And I've asked Miss Denise because this is her field. She works in every day. I've asked her to help us because what I do, what do I do if somebody tells me I'm, I'm battling depression? Well, just get up and get out of bed. I wish it were that easy. But she's going to be offering us some assistance. These are just some valuable tools that they're going to be helping us with over the next few weeks because we're going to be activated to do the work of the Lord. Come on and stand with me. Thank you, Father. I thank you tonight, God, for this people. I thank you for what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in our lives I thank you tonight, God. I, I, I know there's people I cross their paths in every day. Father, good people. Some of them know you. A lot don't know you. But God, they're broken. They're bruised. They're shattered. They've, they're full of shame. This man that was stripped, that's, that's a major area. It was shame that has come upon them. And they're laying there wanting to live, but they're half dead because they're so broken and they're so beat up that somebody's got to help them out. And Father, I pray tonight that there will be a new boldness and a new insight come upon every one of us in this place that we're not going to satisfy ourselves just to go to church, to go through good routines, but God, that we're going to have a greater awareness every day as we're on our journey. Lord, open our eyes to see. 
God, make my heart tender towards you, my ear attentive to your voice every day that, God, if you just whisper, he's the one. She needs you to stop for a moment. I may not know everything about it, but I'm willing at least to say, ma'am, is everything all right, sir? Could I have a word with you for a moment? I just feel like the Lord has stopped me to, to pray for you. Would you mind if I take a moment? I pray that we have such boldness in this room that God, every week the testimonies will flood in, God, of what you're doing. So I blessed him to walk in that, even starting now. In the name of Jesus, I give you praise. Amen, amen.